Welcome back to Left of Normal, where everything that isn't right is left, and everything that is left is right. I'm your host, Scott Seary. As always, I want to get things started off with saying I love you, I appreciate you, I appreciate you. I'm glad you're here, and your support is what keeps me producing more episodes of Left of Normal. I would love it even more if you shared this with your circle when you're done copy and paste the link directly into your social media pages that way everyone can get a glimpse into the left of normal world last week we looked at how the left of normal tackles some of the issues that come with running a business while it certainly would be easier to have a job easier as in like fewer unknowns and less stress about trying to ensure that everything works as in you know the actual work would be easier but then i'd have to deal with bosses and coworkers and social rules that are really there for no apparent reason other than just because that's how things are done you can learn more about that by scrolling on back to the previous episode number 135 but do that after you learn about the woes of the gifted child. Now I'll start this off. I don't really consider myself to be quote unquote gifted. Above average intelligence, yes, but some of that doesn't really, it's not really a gift. It's not really something that uh, inherently my brain is bigger than other people's. It comes with the instructions that I received as a child. When you're younger, when you're in school, you're told to pay attention, study, learn, and do your homework. I believe that most normies kind of see that as more loose guidelines, uh, and we're, but the left of normal sees it as that's really the only option. We wouldn't really know any better to not do those things. We don't know what else to do, so that's what we're instructed to do. That's what we do. And the prospect of getting in trouble because we didn't do as we were told was and is rather terrifying. So throughout my schooling years, I just put my head down and I did the work. Often I did more work because if I finished things up a little bit early, the teacher said to go ahead and work ahead. The instruction was to work ahead, not to goof off, play, fiddle with pencils or whatever. So I did more work. Now, the way my school was in, was structured in third through eighth grade uh, was more of a like personal workbook. They were called Paces. Uh, one of my earlier episodes, the one of the first ten probably, gets into this a bit more. So if you're interested in how that all worked out, just uh, listen back on that one. But essentially, they were something like 15 paces per grade level, and you did three to five pages of work per day, and then you would complete one grade level per year. That is, unless you're told to do extra work. So then you end up doing more than one grade level per year. And now, by the time I was a couple months away from completing the fifth grade year, I was basically done with all of the sixth grade work. At the time, uh, my school, the school I was attending, was changing curriculums for the kindergarten to sixth grade classes. And so my mom suggested that I move to the seventh grade classroom so I could keep going with the paces style of learning. So it really wasn't that I skipped sixth grade. 
I completed sixth grade early, but I did skip the grade. The result was that I moved away from kids my own age at the end of fifth grade as they went into sixth grade. I went into seventh grade. And with an October birthday, I was always one of the oldest in class. And now I moved into classes with kids a year older than I was, becoming the youngest kid in the class. At the time, it was largely fine. There wasn't a, it wasn't a big deal. I had spent the last few years with these same peers. We didn't really care about the ages anyway, as the grades in our school were combined into learning centers. So grades 1 and 2 were L1, learning center 1. Grades 3 and 4 were learning center 2, and so on and so forth. So I was generally always in the same class or learning center as those in six now moving into seventh and I just went along with them I moved right into seventh grade with them what did happen however was there was a big change outside of school and then when I transferred into a public high school and then college several years later when you're 11 years old and entering into youth group at church you're like extra small all the sixth graders that become seventh graders and enter into the youth group they were all looking like little kids and then I was looking like a little little kid and the teenagers did not really want little kids in their group so right away I felt out of place as though I didn't belong and being left of normal didn't help matters either although at the time nobody really knew what that even was this would have been around 1993 or so Entering ninth grade, as I was a 13-year-old and didn't turn 14 until partway into the year, that meant I didn't feel old enough to be in high school. I graduated high school at 17 and started college still at 17, when I couldn't even legally sign a contract until I was into my freshman year. Even one of my professors my freshman year commented on how I was, quote, a youngin or a young one, or something like that, when my birthday rolled around and asked how old I was and everything. This continued on into adulthood, even into many of my networking groups, where I'm by far not the youngest one in there anymore, but I still have these residual feelings some 30 years later that I don't exactly belong because I was bumped up. Let's dip back into high school for a minute here. Uh, Because I was, quote-unquote, the smart kid... I was expected to take advanced placement classes. We didn't call them that back then. We called them honors classes. 10th grade, I didn't do 10th grade English. I went to 10th grade honors English and honors math. I still did fairly well in these classes because, as I mentioned earlier, instructions for going to school, instructions while at school, were do the work. Don't cheat. Do your homework. Pass the class. It was fairly simple, fairly straightforward. And so most of the time, I'd go to school, I'd do my homework, I'd study, and I'd pass the class with A's and B's throughout high school and into college. I believe I graduated high school with around a 3.8 GPA as a, out of a 4.0 scale. We didn't have the idea of receiving higher than 4.0 at the time. I think now it works uh, differently. If you take honors or AP classes, you get like extra credit you receive like a four point something higher than that back in the day it was uh 
you took the harder classes to learn more, not to earn a bigger GPA. Not sure how it all works now, but I w- I'm sure I'll have to figure that out when my son is in high school. It's not that I was the especially smart kid. It was I did the work that was expected to do the work. Some of this worked out just fine. Uh, I took an English class from Dr. Battaglia in my 11th grade year. He was a tough teacher. He's a PhD after all. And he expected a lot from the students. He was a bit gruff, bit opinionated, but very straightforward. If this, then that. Do the work, you'll get, you'll, you'll learn stuff. And he had us read things that were a lot more intense than other classes and demanded a lot from our papers. In 12th grade, I was sick of him and I wanted something different, something better, easier maybe. So I signed up for Doc, uh, Mr. Evans's English class. And I sat down the first day of his class, and he handed out papers from, the, from last year, from the year prior. And he explained that if you wanted to receive an A in his class, this was the quality of paper you would have to write. He said, these are all A papers. These are all what I expect from my students. I read through the one or two pages that I received. I don't even remember what it was or what it was about. But I remember the papers absolutely sucked. I swapped with the person next to me. Read, I read theirs. They read mine. And these were like C or D level work in Dr. Battaglia's class. I looked through them. And since I was uh, encouraged to take harder classes and I was felt uh, I would be disappointing the adults in my life if I did not do something harder, and I did bumble my way through Mr. Evans's class, I left that room and I went down to my counselor and I transferred across the hall back into Dr. Battaglia's world literature class. I'm sure I could have coasted through this easy class, but the gifted kid doesn't do that. You try harder. It's expected and you're made to feel bad if you don't. Into college, it was much the same. I was there to learn. I largely avoided social gatherings during the weeknights. I studied, I'd stay up late writing papers, and I rarely missed any classes. And I certainly did not miss because I was skipping and didn't want to go. I missed because I was actually sick or just otherwise unable to attend. I got almost all A's and B's, uh, just one C that was handed out to me because the professor didn't like the fact that I was left abnormal, and he lowered my grade because I wasn't social and chatty enough in class. Had I known what I know now, I would have protested much more loudly that I was being discriminated against because of my mental condition. We'll call it a condition, especially if you're protesting to try and get your way. After college, there was a brief period of grad school. It didn't last very long, and then I was into the working world. And that's where things get tricky for the gifted child, the smart kid. In school, you have one expectation. Your expectation is to study, do the work, attend lectures, learn, pass the tests, or write killer papers. Obviously, that's more than one, but it's all kind of wrapped under the umbrella of kick-ass academically. After school, suddenly you have like all of these other expectations without as clear-cut methods of achieving them. You have your work expectations, things at your career, your job, whatever. 
You have social expectations. Eventually, you have family expectations. You still need to do well at work. You have to maintain a house or at least a household if you're not a homeowner. You need to provide for yourself. Sometimes you need to provide for a family. You need to not go crazy, drive the speed limit, put on pants every morning, and all sorts of other things that really weren't required for the previous 20-ish years of your life. Suddenly, school looks really easy. I mean, it was always easy if you just did the stuff, but it looks even easier now because it's read the material, listen to the lecture, seek extra help when needed, and you'll learn it. In real life, though, it's not quite so easy, especially not for the gifted kid. The gifted kid, it turns out, was just socially inept enough that he'd put his head down and did the work and always seemed to excel. It seemed easy because there was only that one expectation. Now things, they require work. And they require work that has, at least for me, unknown expectations. Combine that with other factors like self-discipline. If you don't show up to school, you might be reprimanded, maybe receive detention for an afternoon or something like that. You don't show up to work and you lose your job, which means you don't have money, which means you don't eat, and you end up living in a van down by the river. Okay, so being left of normal, uh, there aren't as many, and once you're out of school, once you're into the quote-unquote real world, the if-this-then-that's don't really apply anymore. It used to be if you study, then you learn the material. If you learn the material, then you pass the test. Now, if you go to work, then you have to figure out work dynamics, and there's no guidebook. There's nobody there to explain them to you. It's stressful, and things don't come easy because there's no textbook where you can look up the information. And without the intuition that normies seem to have, you burn out quickly. You get your first job, and you're excited that you're an adult in the working world, and you last about six weeks. So you go find another job. But you can really only land something part-time because you suck at interviewing, because despite a lifetime of masking and learning how to act normal, you still can't quite act as neurotypical as the interviewer demands of you. So you work part-time in a job that pays hardly anything until you finally schmooze a friend who takes pity on you and gets you a job where they work. And then you get in trouble because nobody trained you. They expect you just to you know, know things. And coworkers hate you because you don't jubilantly wander around engaging in small talk every morning. So you leave that job and find another one, but realize it's only more of the same. And so you leave that one, and then the next one, and the next one. Now keep in mind, it's you know like 50 job applications. You land five interviews. And then you really only get a job because you know someone else that works there. You have big long rants about how terrible job interviews are and how they're biased against those who are left of normal. It's no wonder that 85% of left of normals are unemployed or underemployed. And this is the experience of someone who is close enough to normal that nobody even realized I was left of normal until I figured it out myself when I was in my 30s. I can't imagine how much more difficult it would be for someone that's even 
further to the left. Throughout childhood and into young adulthood, I could recall obscure facts. People like having me on their trivia team because I hear stuff and just file it away under useless shit I might need to recall at the next trivia challenge. Throughout college, I could recite the exact dates when I received haircuts going back for several years. It's not as difficult as it seems because at the time I only had my haircut every five or six months. The left of normal can talk for hours about their special interest and explain obscure theories that have nothing to do with their job, if they even have one. But for the left of normal, like myself, I've been called quote-unquote gifted and maintain above-average intelligence and I can breeze through tests no problem, but ultimately can't figure out how to scale a business. Despite having all the facts and spreadsheets and data and knowledge of how to scale a business. Turns out that real life is nothing like childhood and school. And giftedness, giftedness in academics doesn't translate into success as an adult. So what do we do with those gifted kids instead? What do we, how do we encourage them and... and uh, you know, praise their giftedness to make sure they maintain well into adulthood. When these kids, when they're far above their peers academically and they can retain knowledge like it's their job because it is their job, what do we do with them? I suggest you give them extracurricular activities to do. They're really good at school. Now help them get good at things they're not good at. Help them grow that confidence in other areas, ones that will actually matter when they're done learning things. So as adults, they aren't left burnt out, anxious, or depressed. And don't skip them a grade. Academically, they're ready, but emotionally, they are far from ready. For now, you've had a peek into the world where everything left is right. If it feels right, then it must be left. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, like, comment, subscribe. Please join the Facebook community. You can ask questions over there. We can dive more into this uh, idea of what to do with the gifted kids. And remember that praising a child for being gifted or smart or doing well might only be setting them up for big disappointments later in life. And of course, share this podcast with your friends, whether they are left normies, or right.